everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Lord Teaches Two podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, I'm Stuart, a youth and children's pastor based in Pennsylvania, and I'm so grateful that you're taking the time to listen and consider my thoughts and opinions about the spiritual life. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for your support as I take the step to put my thoughts and opinions out there for consideration, as challenging as that can be from time to time. As always, I would love to hear from you. Uh, You can check out different ways to support the podcast and communicate with me in the description of this and every episode. You can email me at pastorstumac at gmail.com. Hang out with me as I stream on Twitch from time to time at stumac underscore streams. You could also join my Discord server or follow me on Twitter at pstumac, where I might tweet some things sometimes, not very often though. Uh, But I do want to thank you so much for your interactions. And with all of that introductory stuff out of the way, let's turn to this week's episode. The past few episodes have really been geared towards laying a framework for where we're heading. We've looked at the importance of digging deeper in the spiritual walk and focused for two episodes on the issue of sin in our lives as people. Today we're going to finally turn towards the disciplines of the spiritual life in an effort to look at the life-giving potential as well as the possible perils of these actions if we lose the heart behind them. We're going to begin with the life-giving intention behind these practices before we turn to warnings that we've got to keep in mind when engaging in these activities. With everything, there's good and bad, and so we have to be willing to weigh those out and understand more of what we're getting ourselves into, what we're engaging in, and what our goal is by practicing these disciplines. To begin with, I do want to start with that goal, what the ultimate goal of engaging in the spiritual disciplines is. And when acting on anything in the spiritual life, we've always got to understand the motive behind why we do what we do. We did cover this a bit in the first episode, but I thought it would be good to offer a reminder. Everything we do in the spiritual life should keep developing a deeper intimacy with God as the prime motivation. That's why we do it. We want that deeper intimacy. We want that closer walk. And so everything that we do, every practice that we involve ourselves with, should have that as our prime motivation. Anything else is going to fall short and cause our spiritual journey to calcify and become stale. It's only as we remember that these practices are meant to deepen our relationship with God that we stand a greater chance of avoiding the dryness that can accompany these practices over a long period of time. Now, keep in mind, that's not to say that sometimes we don't go through dry seasons. One of my favorite topics that we will address eventually is the dark night of the soul. Um, And that's just an interesting and incredible topic to focus on because it's something we all go through at certain times. Uh, So it'll be interesting to get to that and something I'm looking forward to in the upcoming months. Uh, This is only to say that if we maintain the proper motives without sinking into mere obligation or improper thinking, that about what the disciplines do for us, that we have a greater possibility of practicing these actions rightly. And this isn't going to be so much about, you know, if you're going to pray, you have to do step one, step two, step three, step four in order to do it rightly. This is really more of keeping those motives pure, keeping uh, the intention right when we're sitting down to pray or meditate or fast or anything else that we may engage in. Also, we don't want to believe that these actions are ways to earn God's favor or to obtain internal righteousness. Once again, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, which I've referenced many times in the previous podcast and will get referenced a lot in the upcoming podcast. He makes it very clear that we cannot attain or earn this righteousness of the kingdom of God. It's a grace that is given. 
Righteousness is a gift that is to be freely received, but it doesn't mean that there's no work to be done. While the disciplines are not a way to earn righteousness, they do provide a valuable service in order to place us in a position where God's work can be done more effectively. Foster references a farming, the farmer planting crops to drive this point home. While the farmer can plow the field, plant the seed, fertilize and water the crop, there is absolutely nothing that he or she can do to force the plant out of the seed. That work is God's and God's alone. The same is true of godly characteristics in our lives. The disciplines are our way of putting ourselves in the ground so that God can do the work he needs to in order to produce beneficial crops in our lives like love, mercy, forgiveness, patience, and the list goes on. We have to remember that humanity is not good by nature. We are good in creation, we are good in design, but we are not good by nature. So these things don't come naturally. When we think to when we were being raised as, as kids, many of us were taught how to be good, not how to be bad. That came naturally. So love and mercy and forgiveness and patience, these are all things that came through our parents teaching us what's right and wrong. But it is only through practicing the disciplines of the spiritual life that we're more susceptible to the life-giving work of God. Because it's during these times that we prepare the right conditions for God to cause growth to happen. And God can get a hold of anybody at any time, but when we are engaged in the spiritual life and we're on that journey, we have to make sure we're taking intentional steps to allow the greatest opportunity for us to connect to God in a very intimate and deep level. Finally, the disciplines of the spiritual life are not easy to start, and it shouldn't be believed that they are. God's desire to spend time with us is fighting against so many other things that are trying to get our attention, and it's up to us to recognize the importance of engaging in such practices. As people, we like to know that our time is well spent, especially here in a westernized culture where the more full your schedule is, the more proud you are of how busy you've become. Uh, we are a culture built around entertainment and busyness. We really have to fight to rise above the distractions that battle for our attention day in and day out. I know that in working with youth, one of the things I notice is they constantly have earbuds in or headphones on or are watching videos or whatever it is. They zone out and tune out life and not just teens i see it in adults i'm guilty of it from time to time when they're in social situations that are uncomfortable it's so much easier to pull your phone out start scrolling through facebook um, but when it comes to the spiritual life we have to rise above and disengage from those things in order to turn our attention to something more valuable paul even encourages timothy with these ideas as he warns him about how people will stray from godliness to follow deceiving teachings Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 7, and 8, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourselves to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. While there is value in physical training, we must constantly be open to developing ourselves spiritually as well. Not just for the sake of obligation, but because in developing these practices, we grow closer to God, and are able to better fight against bad ideas. One thing that I do talk with our youth about, because a number of them play sports, and while sports aren't necessarily a bad thing, if they're putting all their eggs in the sports basket with regards to getting scholarships and having careers in these things, all it takes is one bad season where you either don't play up to the standard 
that they expect of you, or you could have a career-ending in injury at a young age. So if you're just dumping all of your training into physical things, what do you do when that's gone? So that's why it's important for us to pour in spiritually, because no matter what may happen to us in life, it wouldn't necessarily save certain circumstances. Um, it wouldn't prevent you from praying. It wouldn't prevent you from meditating, because a lot of these things are mental actions that you can take. And some of them are emotional. They're places, as we get into like celebration and worship, these are frames of mind that are important for us to be in. And so I do want to make it clear that the other things in life aren't bad, but if they take priority over spiritual development, then some readjustments may be in order. Uh, to offer the best example, and I make it very clear that I am not a sports fanatic. I don't watch Major League Sports. I honestly think they're a colossal waste of time. Uh, but if you're bothered by the length of your church service because it overlaps with Sunday kickoff, during football season, or you avoid any kind of midweek or Sunday services or whatever it might be because your team is playing during that time, then there's a spiritual health component that you're missing. Uh, and most people don't like to hear that or talk about that. But I do notice throughout, especially football season, people are more interested in talking about how their sports team did than what God's doing in their lives. So and don't think I've got this perfect. I talk about nonsense, too. We all have those things. And it's just a reminder that we need to be a little more proactive and intentional with our engagement with God. Paul also recognizes that sometimes engaging in these practices is challenging. But it's because, like training for a sport, sometimes you have to force yourself to do what you don't want to in order to be better prepared for the race at hand. And this is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, where he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run, such a way, run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others... I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In spiritual training, like physical training, there are times when training is a joy. You see the progress and are impressed by the advancements you've made, while at other times it seems hopeless. But you have to push through and face the pain and disappointment until you get through those rough times in order to encounter joy on the other side. Spiritual training is tough, but it is necessary. And as Paul had said, there's so much that it offers to this life and the next. Let me give you an example from my own life. Back in November of 2020, my wife and I had made a decision to take steps toward weight loss. At the time that we began, I weighed in at 343 pounds because I wasn't disciplined in what I was eating, nor was I performing any kind of exercise. And I have a very sedentary job as a youth pastor. Um, you know, I have a desk job for the most part. So we decided to join Weight Watchers in order to make intentional steps to better our health and develop healthier patterns of eating. There were times, and there's still times, where there's great excitement as we see the pounds come off and there have also been a lot of times where we're just tired of dieting and limiting ourselves from eating you know the greasy fried and delicious foods that we become to eat and partake of even now it's a struggle but looking back we can both see the value 
as of today, six months later, I'm under 300 pounds for the first time in years, and I've got a long way to go, but the progress is there, and the hard work far outweighs the risk associated with poor health. So you're, you have to be willing to sacrifice and push through those times where you may not enjoy it or like it in order to achieve a greater goal that's going to be healthier for you in the long run. And the same goes with spiritual development. Spiritual training is essential to our spiritual health. At times, there's great excitement over the closeness we sense with God, where we find it easier to notice when God's moving and when God's acting. And there are times when it's dry, and we have to be willing to stick with it and move through that. In the end, however, when we're better able to discern God's ways and see him moving in powerful ways, we can look back and see that the good, bad, and indifferent of spiritual training was definitely valuable. And a lot of cases you spend time training and preparing and putting yourself in the right mindset to be used by God when the moment arises. It's just like with the military, as they train and as they constantly keep their bodies in, in shape and keep their, so their minds sharp so that if they ever find themselves in a battle situation, that they're ready to handle it. So... Now we've got those few clarifications out of the way, uh, I want to jump to the life-giving possibilities that are associated with spiritual disciplines. We have to start here because you have to understand the joys and goals to strive for as you engage in the practices uh, that are going to be covered in the following weeks and months as we push forward. The first opportunity, and I think for me the most essential in my mind, is just intimacy with God. So many people in referring to Christianity will voice that it is a relationship and not a religion. They're right in claiming this, is that the entirety of the Bible is focused on God's relationship with humankind. Throughout all the good times and trials, God constantly reminds his people about the value that should be placed in their relationship with the one true God. In the midst of this relationship, it is give and take as God makes it clear to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 11, 26 to 28, when he says, See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commands of the Lord your God that I am giving you today. The curse, if you disobey the commands of the Lord your God and turn from the way that I commanded you today by following other gods, which you have not known. This warning is one that reflects the desire for intimacy that God has for his people as he places emphasis on serving the God they know and remembering their relationship versus, fo versus following false gods that they don't know and have no previous experience with. If you take time and you were to go through the entirety of the Old Testament, as God interacts with his people, with the leaders and with the people as a whole, pay close attention to a word that he recites. Remember. Remember the time that we. Remember the time that I. Remember the time that this is what was going on with you. And I delivered you and I brought you out of that. This is God building intimacy. And a lot of times when we're facing struggles and difficulties, we need to have that in our minds. Remember when. Because it's in the midst of those difficulties that as we think back on, okay, when I was in this situation, God provided and God took care of me and God delivered me, then we're more apt to put our faith and trust in him. Another example that we'll find is in 1 Samuel 8, 6-9 of this intimacy. The true desire that God has uh, with his people is seen as his own people rejected him for a human king. Samuel writes, But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. 
So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, Listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim what the king who will reign over them will claim as his rights. And if we know the story, we know that Saul became the first king of Israel, and he was not devoted to God like he should have been. And so the kingdom was ripped from him, given to David, and even David had his issues. And the reality is when people are put in power, it goes to their head, and they desire more than what they should from people. God desires direct intimacy with his people who recognize him as king and lord over all. By taking the stance of rejecting God in this role, they were essentially saying that having God directly over them was too risky and they needed a human mediator. Like the pagan nations around them, the people of Israel believed they needed a human ruler when they had the potential for direct intimacy with God and a theocratic rule, a God rule. It is God's heart and desire to share direct intimacy with his people, and the spiritual disciplines return us to a mindset where this can take place. The second benefit of participating in the disciplines of the spiritual walk is direct access to wisdom from God. We live in a culture and time where discernment is lacking in every aspect of life. People are being led blindly by corrupt news outlets who have a narrative to push, and people are not questioning what is being told to them, but are instead parroting what that news is spreading. This tied with the reality that people act out emotionally to every news story immediately without allowing time for all the details to come out leads to a hostile culture and aims to destroy itself from the inside. This behavior is also contrary to what God expects from his people as believers are encouraged in James 1.19 that everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. The people of the world demand responses from people of the Christian faith immediately in crisis. The problem here is that sometimes the best answer we can provide is that we need to wait for more information to come out before making a statement. People who jump on the bandwagon of the loudest narrative run the risk of missing what is really going on. And I wrestled with whether to address this issue, but it, it provides a prime example here in the last year of everything that's been going on. As I'm recording this, the trial for um, the officer involved in the George Floyd situation is on trial. And as this trial has been going on, more footage is being shown that is really discrediting the original narrative that was out there. And while, yes, you can question the methods that were put into place as for the length of time that he was pinned down and things like that, it is coming out that the officer's knee was on the shoulder blades, that George Floyd was screaming he couldn't breathe before he was on the ground, that he admitted to taking drugs and having so much fentanyl in his system that it was making it hard for him to breathe. And this is just an example of what happens when we act on something quickly and don't wait for more information to happen. And so, especially we as Christians, have to be willing to say, I would love to offer insight in this, but right now there's not enough information to approach it. And the spiritual disciplines bring us to a place where we rely on God for wisdom and discernment and sometimes waiting. We are called to seek wi wi uh, godly wisdom, and Solomon provides a strong example of this reality as he was praised for asking God for such a request. 
We're never called to blindly follow anyone. When Paul interacted with the Bereans, they were praised for their hesitancy to just accept what Paul was telling them. They heard what he had to say and responded with the basic attitude of, what you say sounds good, but we're going to study it out for ourselves before taking you at your word. Wisdom and discernment are essential to Christian ideology. Without it, we're susceptible to every false idea that is floating around. And if I'm honest, over the last year, I've been extremely disappointed by the amount of Christians caving to the false narratives and fear-mongering pushed by the news narratives. People aren't digging and researching hard enough to realize what is truly going on, and as a result are falling victim to the harsh reality of Hosea 4.6 when God says, My people are destroyed from a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I also reject you as my priests. Because you have ignored the law of your God, I also will ignore your children. In today's climate, too many Christians are rejecting true knowledge and are being deceived by manipulative reporting tactics. The third opportunity granted to us by participating in the spiritual disciplines is greater success and perseverance through trials. As was mentioned in the last podcast, practicing in the midst of good times prepares you for those times when things aren't so great. Just like practicing for a fire drill when there's no fire helps create a mindset for what to do when there is one, practicing prayer, meditation, scripture reading, and all the others during times when things are going well will offer ammunition for when life gets difficult and the spirit begins working in powerful ways. We will speak more on the development of reflex actions when we begin speaking about prayer, so I'm not going to deal too heavily with this issue right now, but the reality is that pouring into the spirit uh, through the disciplines prepares us for the bad times while we're still fairly protected in the good times, and that's when we have to prepare ourselves. Finally, a huge benefit of pouring into the disciplines of the spiritual life is joy and contentment. While intimacy with God should provide the greatest benefit to us, I believe that learning joy and contentment would be the greatest gain for many 21st century Christians. While I don't have statistics, it wouldn't take much time on social media to realize that we are probably living during an era where the level of discontentment among people is is at an all-time high. The reason for this is because unless you just totally disconnect from the internet, you can't get away from what others have and are telling you you should have. Everything we've ever known is being called into question in an effort to make you believe that your life is not complete. This isn't a new idea. Even before internet and social media, there were advertisements that were saying, you're not happy. If you're going to be happy, this is what you're going to need. You need this new washer and dryer. You need this new car. You need, you know, the latest cell phone. You need this. You need that. You need these shoes. You need these clothes. And yet none of that stuff really brings happiness. And it never, well, it might bring happiness, but it never brings contentment because there's always going to be a new thing. And as long as we're giving in to that, then we're going to fall victim to discontentment. Technology, for all its goods, has many great evils, and that's shown day in and day out as people are still trying to measure up to what others believe to be acceptable. I mean, imagery, images that go out into the public opinion now has, is crazy. Um, there's so much more information, so much more, so many more videos and pictures that are out there now and are constantly uploaded every single day. And it opens us up for criticism. It opens us up for people that have nothing better to do than to say nasty things uh, about what we post online. By participating in the disciplines of the spiritual life, you're actually disconnecting from all of this in an effort to better connect to God. 
It's in him that our true identity is found, and our current social climate proves that people have strayed further from their identity in God than ever before. In Scripture, there's no promise that life will be good from the moment you're saved to the moment you die. Paul knew this full well, and while we aim to try and remove every ounce of discomfort in our lives, he aimed to find contentment in all things in his life. In his church, or his letter to the church at Philippi, Paul writes in response to the gifts they have given him, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And that's Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul knew the secret of life was not removing discomfort, but finding contentment in all circumstances by turning to God for the strength needed to endure. This only came through Paul's connection to the one whom he knew sustained him. Jesus, during the time tested in the desert, taught the reality that man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word that comes from the mouth of God. When we start believing that joy and comfort are defined by our circumstances, then we lose sight of God altogether. This is why we need struggles and trials in our lives. Those times teach us to rely on God more fully and serve to remind us how desperately we need God in order to be content. The reality here being that when we disconnect and think we don't need God for anything, we stray from our source of life, identity, provision, and contentment. It's only through practicing the disciplines of the spiritual life that we are reminded how desperately we need to return to God on a regular basis. Now, these are only a few of the benefits that come from a life devoted to God through the spiritual disciplines. In no way is this a comprehensive list, and I'm sure you can probably think of other benefits, but it at least gives us a good starting point so that when you sit down and you participate in prayer, you know what you're looking for. And there's nothing worse than engaging in a project or setting out on a journey and not knowing what the destination will be. But when we focus on the journey of faith, we have to understand that while the destination is eternity with God and things like that, pay attention to the path because there's so many great things that you're going to see along the way. And as great as these are, we have to be aware of some of the pitfalls that can derail us or bring burdens so heavy that we're unable to lift them or that we can end up putting on others. By understanding these things, we can be on the lookout for when we may be taking what is meant to bring life and transforming them into death sentences for ourselves and others. Basically, we have to understand the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit which inspires those laws and practices. The two issues that we're going to confront on a grand scale, so this is kind of universal, it, they're really two sides of the same coin. One tends to be a little more internal, deal, dealing solely with us and our motivation and why we're doing what we're doing. The other is more external. It puts us in a place where we end up enforcing things on other people that are destructive. As was mentioned previously, the Christian life is one of relationship over religion. In a roundabout way, this addresses the reality that we don't want to get so hung up on the traditions or doing that we fail to devote ourselves to the relational side of Christianity, which is being. And in my experiences, there is nothing the Christian church is worse at than simply being. And I'm reminded of, I didn't look it up, I didn't prepare for that part of it, but the, I believe it's a psalm that says, be still and know that I am God. It doesn't say do things, but simply to be still. And we're not great with being. 
We're all about service. We're all about going to church. We're all about doing things. But we have to sometimes sit and simply be. It is made clear throughout the pages of Scripture that God is concerned more with our heart and motives than the actions themselves. We addressed this in episode one of this podcast, so I'm not going to revisit that here. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to that, definitely check that out as I address a lot of those um, in terms of going deeper with the faith. But it is important for us to avoid the pitfall of a works-based spirituality. These practices that we'll look at in the coming weeks don't earn our salvation or righteousness, as we've already mentioned, but they're a means by which we can place ourselves where God has the greatest opportunity to capture our attention. Righteousness and salvation are gifts to be received joyfully, and we must never confuse this with the idea that they have to be earned by doing certain things. When we focus on the disciplines of the spiritual life, it's not about how long or how often you're doing them. It is more about the intent behind them, which should always be to draw closer to and glorify God. And even if you start off with just doing these things once a week, as long as the intent is right, then you're in the right place. As long as your motives are to glorify God and to draw closer to him. And I think what you'll find is that as you engage once a week, you'll get excited about it over time. You'll get interested in it. You'll get, you know, passionate about wanting to connect with God more often. So it'll go from once a week to maybe twice, three times, four times, and then ultimately daily, where you are drawing closer to God. And as a result of the reflex action that's happening, that you find yourself praying without ceasing. That's mentioned in Thessalonians. The second pitfall is external, but it does fall along the same lines. Typically in our walk, we find practices or experiences that work really well for us and they become part of our routine and can cross into the realm of this is what everyone should do. It's in this mindset that legalism kicks in. Much like works-based salvation, which tends to burden the individual more than the community, legalistic ideals tend to be more oppressive to the outward community. The essence of legalism formed a majority of Christ's battle with the Pharisees as he condemned them for counting out their mint and human but ignoring weightier matters of the law like justice and mercy. He accused them of binding burdens on people that were so heavy and they were unwilling to lift a finger to help others that were struggling. It's not the intent that God had for the practices and the traditions and the sacrifices and all of that. Legalism plays into our desire for control over others. While it's valuable to guide others in their walk, we must never err on the side of you must do this to truly encounter God. Each person's walk with God is personal with communal aspects, so God will reach each person in different ways. With that understanding, we have to be careful that we're not binding people to our effective practices when something else may be more beneficial for them. There are certainly values to Christians engaging in all of the disciplines, but different seasons will call for different things. It's just like in our actual seasons, you're not going to wear a parka in the middle of the summer when the temperature's at 140 degrees. It's a different tool for a different season. And each person is in different seasons of their lives. So where during this season, prayer may be a great thing for you and very beneficial and effective. It might be a season of meditation or fasting for another person that's going to be more effective. So we just have to be conscious of that. Where one person will value silence and prayer as they sit, wait, and listen, others' prayer times may need background music, journaling, or artistic practices to truly express their thoughts and feelings to God. No one way is better than another, but they are simply different. 
and ways that God connects with us on an intimate level. And he knows our personalities. He knows what it's going to take to best connect to us. When I used to counsel men struggling with addiction, I remember having a conversation with another counselor about methods of encouraging the men to encounter God. I fell more on the side of desiring every man to encounter God in his own personal effective way, while the other counselor was more of the, I want them to encounter God as I encounter him. To me, this sets you on the path of legalism. And I'm not saying this counselor was legalistic. His passion was there and his intentions were right. But I think the conclusion he reached was a little bit off. It could lead to legalism when people start having very real encounters with God in ways that aren't your own and may seem uncomfortable. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's an ineffective or false way of, of encountering God. You know, for me, if I walk into a charismatic church service where people are running around and waving flags and speaking in tongues, that's an uncomfortable circumstance for me, but it is not for me to, to condemn their practices if they're truly connecting with God. And I have my doubts and I have my uncertainties, but that's me. That's me. That's something for me to wrestle with. It's not to say that there are some practices that shouldn't be condemned or discouraged, but we must use discernment when guiding others along the spiritual journey. The last thing we want to do is quelch the spirit. We don't want to tell a person who's having a very real encounter through listening to worship music, oh, you shouldn't do that. You should really sit in silence and wait on God, because that's not necessarily what they need at that season. And we don't want to crush the work of the spirit because it's uncomfortable for us or it's not the season where we are. The bottom line, however, is that we have to be cautious with what we expect of others and be aware that God uses and inter interacts with different people in different ways in order to get their attention. Now, as we look ahead, we will address more pitfalls for each of the disciplines that we'll be reviewing. So just like the list of benefits and life-giving uh, opportunities that we went through, this is not comprehensive either. These are kind of just the two main areas because when we get into a discussion with the disciplines, it'll be a little more fine-tuned for dangers and pits, pit, pitfalls for those practices. But it's good to know that these are the two overarching ideas that we need to be careful of. In the next episode, we will begin looking at the most basic action of a Christian, but possibly one of the most misused or misunderstood aspects of the Christian life. Our journey through the disciplines will start with prayer. As we go through these disciplines, the podcast may take on a different look, as my aim is not just to offer some profound advice, but to offer some actual guidance through the disciplines. What that may look like is there may be times where it gives opportunity for silence. Uh, it may have some more um, musical components just to give some hands-on application. So in two weeks, we will look at the informational side of prayer, and two weeks after that, we will look at the practical side where we'll engage in some, some practices of prayer. And we'll do that as long as it's possible to do through a podcast medium with the disciplines we have. Obviously, we're not going to do fasting. Um, practical approach, aside from explaining some ways that you can engage in it and, and things like that. But we won't actually do fasting. That wouldn't make for a very exciting podcast. I think where we're at now, that's going to do it for us for this podcast. So as always, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen and engage with me and supporting as you have been. Um, 
if you have any questions or any pushback, I'll take that as well. Um, or need more clarification, please feel free to email me. Uh, you can tweet me or catch me streaming live on Twitch. Also, check out the Discord, and all this stuff will be linked in the podcast description uh, to engage with me more personally on those things. Uh, but until next time, as always, ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Keep asking. Keep seeking. Keep knocking. Blessings to you all. <laughs>